And I says, wow, imagine a type A personality like a firefighter who spends 30 years, you know, suppressing his feelings, just coming out and saying, you know, you, you took me from a dark place into a happy place. And I said, okay, this is definitely something I need to investigate even more. And I dove head first into the medicinal aspects of CBD and cannabis. And that's where, where I'm, where I'm hit. There's other farmers out there looking at the hemp industry that are interested in it, but probably scared of going that's through that. That's a good question. Wow. Yeah. So, how does a small farmer compete? An amazing community here in our small town. We're you know, one of the largest players in the wine industry. I think we are the Hey everybody, Chase Nobles here, founder over at Kush.com. I've got Gary Roberts here from Good Dudes Grow. Super excited to have you on the show. Uh, can't wait to learn a little bit about what you've been up to, but uh, yeah, happy to have you on. I am excited to be on. It's kind of like thundering storm here right now. So every time you, if you hear a boom, it's because <laughs> it just started to rain cats and dogs over here in South Florida. Right on. And yeah, so what part of South Florida are you in? Uh, Fort Lauderdale area. Right on. Yeah, they just had a big show down there. Uh, sound like uh, we had some of our team down there. It's nice to see Florida really, you know, kind of taking the torch here when it comes to CBD and hemp products. A lot of activity, a lot of growth down there in the market. But uh, before we get into what you're doing, if you don't mind, just give it a little overview. Who is Gary Roberts? Why are you here? How'd you get here? What's the story? Oh, uh, the story, it actually goes in different different directions, but basically uh, I was one of those guys that says, you know what, cannabis is coming to South Florida, you know, let's invest and see how we can do that. But uh, I found out that South Florida wasn't going to let just the average person come in and invest. As you guys know, they kept it up to the farmers over here. But as I started investigating the cannabis industry, uh, my daughter was in a car accident and she became opiate dependent. Uh, unfortunately, uh about two years ago, she actually ended up having an overdose from, from opiates. For those who don't know, I'm also a 17-year veteran firefighter, so I deal with the opiate crisis down here you know, constantly on a daily basis. And one of those things that a lot of people tell themselves is, you know, that'll never happen to my family. It'll never happen to me. And basically, that's, that was the feeling. It was like, oh, my God, it's, it's, you know, it actually did happen to me, and it's something needed to be done. So I started investigating more of the... Uh, the uh, medical properties of CBD and cannabis, how they could actually change from opiate addict, opiates, using opiates for pain and inflammation to more of a plant-based style of medication. And I, as I was investigating that, op that option, three months after my daughter passed away, my father passed away from opiate overdose. So, so that led me down even a more passionate path that, you know, something really has got to be done. So I created a CBD company called Pure Body Zen. And the only reason why I created it was basically to help my daughter before she passed away, but was basically to help firefighters actually use the product instead of actually using opiates or other medications. So I knew as being a firefighter, we get drug tested all the time. So it's a random thing. We don't know when it's coming. So I had to make sure the products were actually 100% THC free. They weren't, weren't you know, because it just started here in South Florida when I started. So it was like the wild, wild west. You know, they said THC free, but still had to 0.3%. You know, it was still kind of, the language is still kind of iffy and everybody kind of was getting caught on it. So I wanted to make sure my guys were actually safe and didn't lose their retirement and everything else. So I let down that road. And then one day, to be honest, uh, a firefighter came up to me and said, uh, dude, what'd you put in this stuff? And I kind of got a little freaked out saying, okay, what do you do? Fail a drug test? He's like, no, he's, he said, I've been on for three days. Uh, I haven't told anybody this, but for the last three years, I've had really dark dreams. Uh, I hated my family. I hated my kids. Uh, I, really didn't want to be around anybody. And after three days of taking, you know, the CBD product, 
that started to clear up. I started feeling happier, started feeling better. And I says, wow, imagine a type A personality, like a firefighter who spends 30 years, you know, suppressing his feelings, just coming out and saying, you know, you, you took me from a dark place into a happy place. And I said, okay, this is definitely something I need to investigate even more. And I dove head first into the medicinal aspects of CBD and cannabis. And that's where, where I'm, where I'm headed. Right on. I mean, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, right. Um, From the personal story to trying to understand what it must be like, you know, losing a daughter Um, as a new father, I can't imagine how that, you know, must have felt. Um, but it, you bring light to a really big topic that's especially in Florida, right? When it comes to the opioid crisis, Seattle too, a lot of the West Coast, um, you know, growing up in Tennessee, different problems, but then opioids just kind of came in and swept the whole East Coast, right? Exactly. Um, we're doing a big trade show down in Tampa, um, Kushkon coming up soon. And the part of it is, you know, how do we avoid, you know, kind of the negative stigma of drugs because drugs really means opiates in Florida. Right. And, um, a lot of people that know, know that cannabis is, 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 seems to be a really good product to help kind of combat that. Right. We've done this on the show before. You're not the first person that we've had on that's really dealt firsthand with the opioid crisis and saw the effect that hemp CBD and even THC products can have on alleviating you know, that addiction. So, um, being a firefighter right there in Florida, right there in Florida, you know, having a daughter that you lost to this crisis, you know, sounds like probably got injured and got a prescription. Next thing you know, you know, that's a lifestyle. That is a way of life. How do you look at somebody that's having had this conversation as a firefighter, what do you say to those people that maybe stumble across this show right now that are trying to find their way out? Cause not everybody, most people don't want to be in the situation they're in. They're just in that situation. What do you tell them? What do you tell them when you, you know, you go into their house and realize that they're overdosing? What, what is that conversation? How do you break that mold? How do you break that habit? I tell there's basically different, different options. Cause a lot of people don't understand it as options because they think of themselves. I have a different view of addiction. Now I have a different view of addicts. Now it's a different, no, you know, back when we used to see it on TV, you used to see the low life down and out addict and stuff like that. My daughter wasn't a low life down and, you know, she was somebody who got caught in a bad situation and that's what the medication does. It gets you addicted to it. So there's a lot of people who aren't the, uh, how do you say it? Those people on TV that you see all the time that are like that. So you let them know that there's a, another way out. My daughter put herself in rehab several times to try and get off of it and rehab sent her out of it with even more medication than she went in with, which is kind of blows my mind. And then what addicts think is, and the first thing I talk to a lot of them about is about CBD and cannabis. And they go, Oh no, I'm an addict. I can't touch that stuff. It is completely different. So I tell them it's not an addiction. It's basically a plant that'll help you overcome that addiction. And the easiest way to actually do is just try. And I don't mean going cold Turkey, going straight to cannabis. That, that would be like the worst thing to actually do. If you're taking a bunch of opiates throughout the day, maybe you try and switch out one of those times for a THC or a CBD product and then take your opiates the rest of the day and slowly weed off by changing out the opiate by the pill. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is that people feel it's that time I got to take that pill. It's that time I got to take that pill. So just change those pills saying it's that time I got to take that pill, but grab a different one. 
and slowly manage it that way. And it's a lot less difficult than that. And they start noticing the, the effects that, hey, this is exactly the same, but I don't feel as lost or as groggy or, or, as, or as useless as when I take the, the opiate itself. Right. I think that's really important is, you know, you've built up habits over time. We all have, right? And how do you, you know, not try to change too much at once and phase in more healthy choices um, versus the ones that we, we all know are unhealthy, whether it's drinking or smoking or anything like that. Um, mood enhancement as well. You know, you were talking about the, your, your friend, the firefighter uh, that, uh, you know, came back and said that they, you know, work through some emotions and having a better mood. What is that? You know, it's all anecdotal right now, right. In a lot of ways, what, what's that anecdotal experience been with, you know, that community that rarely talks about their emotions. I know when something bad happens, there needs to be a debrief and a way for people to process what that experience was like. Um, But how is CBD and hemp and cannabis products coming to that conversation? And what is that like in that environment? Um, Are, have firefighters, are they pretty open about that conversation or is it still pretty walled off? It's still pretty walled off. I'm telling you, they're, they're not the type of person. The fire departments implement a, a you know, if you see something or you, you want to talk to somebody, you know, talk to somebody, here's a number call. We're not calling that number. I, I, I don't care what, what the poster on the wall says or how cool the graphics are or the little cartoons as well. Chances are we're not calling that person. All right. We're the type of person that, you know, you like I said before, you suppress 30 years of feelings. We're here to do a job. And most people don't understand the job that we do. And I gave one example of, of when a military person came and talked, started talking to our department about PTSD and stuff and everything else. He walked in and we always say, you know, thank you for your service. Like everybody, you know, they thank him for their service. And he actually stopped and says, no, I thank you for your service. And we're like, we're, we're a little drawn back. Like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, we signed up for combat. We signed up that battle. We see it on TV. We know what we may come into. And it's only in basically two or four year stance or as long as we want to go. You guys get hired a job for a 30 year period that you're going to be guaranteed to see death and mayhem for over 30 years every third day. I said, he goes, that plays a lifetime on your mind. And by the time you get to year 10, year 15, feelings are no longer basically part of your mentality. It's a job. I can't, I can't freak out when some kid, you know, somebody's kid is in a pool drowning and the mom's screaming. I can't freak out because I have to focus on sa- saving the kid that's drowning in the pool. If I freak out, she freaks out, freaks out. Nobody does anything. So we don't talk about it. We just do like a mechanic. We get under the hood and we do the job. And then we go back. And forget about it. And after years and years of that building up, it, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be triggers. There's going to be special triggers. There's going to be things that happen. So when that individual came and told me, I said, I was still behind the scenes because, you know, firefighter selling CBD and THC was, it was definitely no, no. So it's like, okay, am I going to get fired if people find out, you know, I was still on edge at that point. I said, okay, now it's time to come out from the Honda curtain and it's time to bring it to all the department. And I started talking about to our human resources. They slammed the door in our face. I brought, I started to our, our chiefs. They slammed the doors on their face. I brought it to our health committee. They says, no, not unless human resources. So they slammed. So for two years, I was getting doors on my face about this product. And then all of a sudden, two years, about this year, I would say about nine months ago, I get a call from a union says, hey, we want you to come down and do a presentation on cannabis and CBD to the to the mayor and everybody else. So 
I says, well, why do you want me to do that? He goes, well, you're the only person we know that talks about it. I says, well, how, how does you know? He says, well, your podcast, because after all the doors shut in, I just opened a podcast said, if nobody's going to listen to me in person, I'm just going to blab it out everywhere. And so they can't shut me up. They just got to click a link and listen. If they don't want to listen, they can just not listen. So I started that the Good Dudes Grow podcast, and that led to me helping the department understand. And now I'm talking to several firefighters, and it, it has grown into actually an advocacy for the fire departments to understand that, you know, THC is not about us smoking a bunch of uh, uh, dubs and sitting on a couch and eating Smarties and Doritos. It's something we can use instead of taking the Xanax, instead of taking the alcohol, instead of taking the, the uh, Adderall that we can we, we normally we prescribe, you know, all these medications that they prescribe us because we can't sleep, we're anxious, we're, you know, our our sleep cycles are completely confused. We, we see things. We don't see things. It's, you know, you, you want that firefighter when he goes to your house, when you dial 911 and you have an emergency, you want him to have a clear head. You don't want him to be on an opiate or, or a Xanax or, or something, you know, that could actually be detrimental to you. So why not use a, a plant-based product that doesn't have as many side effects as all the other chemicals? Right. You, you go through a traumatic experience and, common way of processing that, especially if you're doing it, you know, going through that experience with a group of people is, you know, to mask that with alcohol. I, you know, that's, that's probably the most common thing. Let's go get a beer. Right. I would imagine that's a pretty common tactic to manage those emotions and, you know, just break down the wall a little bit to have a discussion about what happened. Right. Um, but not really process the emotion in a healthy way necessarily all the time. So it, it's, it's nice to see that this is happening in the market, that conversation is happening. Um, but when you talk about a 30 year career, there's a big difference between legal hemp products and passing a drug test for THC, right? How do you balance those two? Because when we talk about hemp, we're talking about the cannabis plant. Every cannabis plant more or less has some level of THC in it. You can get CBG out with very minimal THC if you harvest it super early, right? But at a certain point, there is that risk. And you're talking about people's jobs. You're talking about people's families. You're talking about you know, uh, a drug testing policy that hasn't been updated, right? How do you look at that and have that conversation? What is the protocols? What's the process to protect these people you know, in their careers as well as provide them a product that can help them in a number of different ways. Well, back three years ago, when we first started in South Florida, it, it was hard to figure out, to be honest. Basically, what I did is I, I double tested, triple tested to make sure there was was trace, zero trace amounts of THC. Like you said, there may be some, but it wouldn't hit the level of the uh, the 50 nanograms that is required by our drug tests. I know some drug tests across the nation are any THC you know, you get, you get jammed up. Ours actually had a level to it. So 50 nanograms per, per milliliter of blood was actually a pretty high level to actually hit at, at the little amounts that might've been in the product of a CBD only product. But as, a, as the, we, everybody in the United States, including the testing processes started getting forward and getting more technologically better. We started finding out that there was different ways to actually pass those drug tests. Like we found out that the drug test, your analysis test that we normally take is, is a metabolite test, which means anytime we come in contact with a THC product, our body will create that metabolite. And that's what will pop, even though it's an inert inactive, you know, it's not an active THC product, we'll still get popped. So the biggest thing that I ended up doing is I started educating the people that, you know, we can go down a road that we can get popped with a drug test, but now they have something where they have 
THC serum test. So if you're really afraid that you're going to lose your job and it's going to pop on a drug test because it's a metabolite test, which tests for the inert, inert product, then at the same time, pay the 40 or $80 and get a blood serum test for THC. This way, if anything happens, you've got a backup and you've got an argument showing that, no, I don't have the active ingredient. Your test is a faulty test. It's been known. You don't want to change the rules in your contract. And here's what the inert activity is. And it, you can actually show it now. And it's, it's, there's actually scientific proof that you can actually actually fight that. I do know a lot of states, Florida is not one of them yet. They do have a right to, uh, what is that? They have a right to go against their employer if they, if they fire them for THC. I, I know there was, I think there was like, don't get don't quote me on this, but you can see, I think about 36 cases across the United States. I think about 70% one where the government says, listen, you, the state approved it. So, you know, you guys approved it. So you can't fire the guy for having THC because you guys didn't take your drug to change your drug test policies. So we're going to go with them. And they, they won in court. Florida is still not that way. You, we can't if we get fired for THC, we can't go against our employers. But like I said, the education process of trying to educate them, saying there's different options. I, I've tried to talk to our department and says, we'll just keep the drug test in there and just change the word from metabolite to blood serum. Yeah, in Florida, is it all unionized, you know, firefighters is, for police officers? Is, is it all operate within a union? Yes. So the contracts are what the union says. What do they want to put in it? They, they can take out THC completely and the departments won't lose their benefits federally or statewide. But again, there's there's still the old the old mentality of, you know, we're going to have a firefighter driving down the road with a, you know, smoking a bong and causing issues when that's really not the issue. We just want how, how is the unions having those conversations? How are they processing, you know, the opportunity to have healthier people, you know? Um, They're open to it, but fighting for it, if it comes down to a contract dispute, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not at the level of, yeah, this, it's either this or not. It's not a linchpin piece it's, of their conversation, right? We'll have the conversation. We want to change. We want to do this. We want to do this. But if it, if it, that's the only thing that's holding up a contract from being signed with the city, they're they're not going to go to arbitration just for that. Not yet. Right. right. And what has the process been like building this business in Florida? Florida, for anybody that doesn't know, and you know, we see it on our end being the largest wholesale marketplace in the country, probably the world of vendors and people signing up and purchasers. And, you know, I feel like we have a really good view of the whole market. Florida has just taken off. I mean, we're seeing new businesses pop up every day, if not multiple per day. What is happening in the Florida market? Can you fill us in on, on what the, the shift was, when it happened, how it happened? Like, why is Florida, which is a question that I still am processing the answer, why is Florida popping off so big? Because, you know, we were planning on having a show in Oregon in May. And now we, we pulled out of that show and we're putting on a big show in Tampa because Florida has just become such a dominant market of entrepreneurs starting these businesses. It's, it's inspiring to see. I don't know what it is, but I'm curious if you can give me a little bit of insight. I'm going to tell you what I think it is, to be honest with you. Florida's regulated their CBD and cannabis industry very well. They've supported 
the industry with the regulations. So in other words, the regulations they put in, they put in their 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 legislative assembly that it does help with PTSD. It does help with with aches and pains. So you cannot discriminate against somebody who wants to get their medical marijuana card. They support the Delta 8 community. He says, no, we're not changing it like everybody else is trying to fight it. We do we do understand it's still part of the, the hemp plant. Let them do what they have to do with it as long as those businesses follow these rules we want these rules on the labels we want these little people to be licensed we don't want people selling from their houses you got to have a location so they put it in place as running it as a very lucrative business supported with the legislation which is amazing so you're saying it mostly boils down to the regulatory environment has been friendly to these companies not to mention taxes in Florida, if you look at a lot of other states, especially on the West Coast, it's interesting to see, you know, why so many tech companies have moved to Miami and Tampa and, you know, throughout the state, why so many hemp businesses have started there, why, why you know, kind of the economy seems to be, you know, doing really well in Florida. I was just down there in Tampa and it looks a lot different than Seattle, the downtown does. And uh, it's pretty cool to see Florida just get a lot of credit here. Um, Our governor has actually followed... I hate to say this this word to be political, but follow the science on everything from COVID to cannabis to everything. And he made those regulations for the people of Florida so they can, the businesses and themselves can actually thrive. So I'm very happy for what he's done. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting to see, you know, and I know there's a govern, govern, a race for a governor coming up soon, right? I think um, there's a couple of people that have thrown their hats in the ring, all seem to be supportive of cannabis for Florida. You know, that's just super exciting to see having, you know, lived in a state that's had recreational cannabis for, you know, over five years, right? Six, seven, I don't even know how many years now, but over five. And Florida's finally kind of that conversation is really coming up. Now, the medical THC market, the the medical cannabis market, that's an interesting one. Everything's fully integrated, very little branding, labeling, you know, but lots of big companies because they have to be vertically integrated. CBD's kind of blown it out wide with the opportunity as far as you know, every corner store really in Florida has CBD products, hemp products, um, Delta 8 products even as well. So it's, it's pretty exciting to see kind of the innovation happening in the market. And I'm excited to have a show down there just because it's a little bit different than anything else we've seen. We thought Texas was going to go big, right? And Texas regulatory environment wasn't as supportive as they could have been. You know, all the scares with, you know, the different product categories at a certain point, they were talking about outlawing smokable flour, smokable hemp flour. Like it just kind of blew my mind, especially for a state that, you know, says they're so supportive of their farmers trying to pull the rug out from under them on their highest margin good. That takes the least amount of processing. So um, it's nice to see Florida doing it right. Let's talk about something a little bit more um, uh, out there on the, on the outer edge. It's starting to become a more of a conversation and um, most people have to go to South America and have these types of experiences, South Central America. And a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, shifting the, 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 your perspective on the world. I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, but part of the conversation that you've been having involves psychedelics. Touchy conversation because it is something that we don't know a lot about. But we do get to witness the effects, the outcomes of what psychedelics can can do in a controlled environment. 
what's your interest here? Why am I even talking about it? It's not, you know, kush.com. It's not been our business traditionally, but the conversation keeps coming up more and more for a really straight laced guy, straight laced career. How did psychedelics come into the part of the conversation here? Oh, psychedelics started coming to conversation basically to save firefighters lives. I listen, I've had about in the last five, seven years, I've had about five failed firefighters commit suicide. And, you know, I, I know cannabis does a lot and it'll help on, on some side. But if you go down the cannabis road and start looking at medication, the next thing following up behind them is psilocybin. You start seeing that coming through and then you start going even further into the, the, uh, the psychotherapy and you start looking at products like LSD, MDMA, DMT, and you start seeing this and you start doing a little bit of investigation. You start finding out that these products were actually used in, in, the fifties for these with great success. LSD in psychiatry was used with great success for depression way back when in the fifties. And when the, you know, the, the big war on drugs came, it wiped out all the information about it. And it's, so it's, it's the funny thing is that it's growing back up again, but technology hasn't caught up with it. So when they shut it down for all those years, technology didn't continue saying, okay, we can start it up in a couple of years. So it's interesting to see that, it looks like a rebirth to a lot of people. And a lot of people just remember them as party drugs and stuff like this. And the cool thing about it, I think it doesn't take a lot of doses. I mean, if you look at the uh, at the last John Hopkins study for, for depression, psilocybin, I think it took, after one dose, they showed it up to 12 months of no longer having depressive, you know, clinical clinical depression. After one dose, that is, that is it just blows your mind from somebody who would take RSIs for every day for years and feel like crap and sluggish and all this. You take one dose of this magic mushroom and then you're good. Why not investigate it a little bit more? And so, you know, that's where we started going. We started investigating a little bit more. And we, we found, like you said, and exactly the same thing with cannabis, there's not a lot of clinical trials out there. And, and like cannabis is still schedule one. All these drugs are schedule one. It's extremely difficult to actually find uh, a right and safe place to go. Like you said, most have to go down to South America where they're going. And then, you know, they'll go to a place that's in the woods and, and the shaman just gives you this medication. You don't know how much you're getting. You don't know if it's good for you. You don't know anything. And then it messes with the neuroplasty of your brain, which basically tells you that if I go into something angry, I'm going to come out angrier because I wasn't, prepared for what I was going to see. So it might actually have a, a, a bad effect. And if you do some of these studies on these, on these retreats and stuff, you'll notice that people have heart attacks since they gave them too much of these medications and all these bad things like, like, you know, sexual misconduct and suicides afterwards. And nobody wants to talk about the bad stuff about psychedelics. And that's what I'm trying to change. It's not bad. If you actually go to a place that has a, has a medical oversight and actually plans your, for your condition. It's, I think it's something that the conversation's not going away. It's getting louder and louder. One thing about psychedelics too is, you know, if you take them, your willingness to try them again really soon after is pretty low, right? Because it's usually a pretty powerful experience. Um, and so it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out over time because, you know, you're starting to get these companies looking to go public or going public, to, you know, trying to bring this information and this product to the market in the U.S. So It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years on that front. But uh, CBD hemp is very much alive and well in Florida. And I can't wait to get down there to Florida to see all the new companies that have popped up because that is one of the most exciting things about this industry is everybody's still a startup. 
there isn't really a major incumbent. The companies that seem big on the grand scheme of things aren't that big, which means that there's a lot of opportunity in space for the brands, for the products, for the people that they affect, and for scale within a country that is very willing and accepting of this product culturally and regulations are still just catching up on the federal level. So uh, Gary, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the company. Good luck with the podcast. And uh, I've had an amazing time talking to you. Good luck on everything. Thank you, Chase. It's been my pleasure. It's great being on the show. All right. We will talk soon.